The views and opinions expressed during Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or an NC State student media. You are currently tuned in to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1 FM HD1. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Riley, and welcome to this week's episode of Eye on the Triangle, an NC State student-run, student-scripted, and student-produced show on WKNC 88.1 FM HD1 Riley. I am Janini Kekwa. On tonight's episode, I sit down with Mental Health Ambassador Elizabeth Dogbe and the Alcohol and Other Drug Prevention Coordinator for the Prevention Services, Ms. Whitley Grant. In these two interviews, we'll be discussing the mental health at NC State and the unique relationship between Black students and mental health. Stay tuned to Eye on the Triangle. In my first episode, I had the opportunity of speaking to Elizabeth Dove. Elizabeth is a senior at NC State majoring in civil engineering. She's also a mental health ambassador, and she'll be speaking to us about her mental health journey at NC State. My first question is, as a student, what are some of the mental health issues that you deal with? Yeah, so I think a lot of the mental health issues that I um, grapple with a lot are just first being a Black person at a PWI, I think is really difficult sometimes. Um, so I struggle a lot with imposter syndrome. Um, I'm a civil engineering major, so being um, in a majority white, majority male program is really tough. Um, walking into classes and feeling like if I ask questions, other people will think I'm stupid or, um, you know, if I if I like give a wrong answer in class, there's like a lot of pressure on me to get that, to like not do that. Um, so I think the weight of that causes a lot of my mental health issues. I have a lot of problems with self-doubt and, um, you know, wondering if I'm doing the right thing and that's affected my confidence and my self-esteem. And um, it's given me like mild social anxiety um, in interactions. I overthink a lot. Um, so a lot of the issues that I have um, gone to the counseling center about really center around like my self-image, um, issues of self-worth, um, social situations, figuring out relationships and how I relate to other people. No, that's definitely relatable because I'll be struggling too. I can't even lie. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. Um, yeah. And I love state, but I think I definitely wish I, I, I knew more about the toll it would take on mental health before I came for sure. So you just talked about like the different mental health issues that you face because of college and it being so hard, which is completely relatable. Um, how have you coped with these mental is- mental issues? Yeah, so um, counseling was a big one. I think I learned a lot of my like healthier coping strategies from counseling. Um, I try to um, exercise. I do a lot of yoga um, just so I have time in my day to just think. Um, I think another coping strategy that I've done, and it's hard to describe, but I think I kind of like, I think in college, especially in a STEM major, it's easy to like, um, put your schoolwork above like anything else. And like, you take a lot of like, um, you like do a lot of like unhealthy self-sacrifice. Like you like sleep weird and you like eat at a weird pattern and like you don't exercise and do all this stuff. So I think one of my like biggest coping mechanisms is saying like, at the end of the day, I need to be like healthy and like able to do things and like not constantly dealing with like headaches and sleepiness. So like I put myself first in a way that is very dramatic um, and kind of difficult to describe. So like, if it's like 10, like my brain shuts off at like 10. So if it's like 10 and something's due at midnight, it's just gonna have to be turned in the next day. Cause I like, I don't believe that it's worth the sacrifice to 
especially if like there's a lot of the thing left to do like it's just not worth it um I've never been the kind of person who's like up at 3 a.m studying that's just not me um so I stopped doing that I um I'm really good about like if I want to take a nap in the middle of the day I'll just take a nap um and figure out what I need to do later um and it sounds like really it's a really difficult thing to enforce in real time because it's like I've had to ask for a lot of extensions I've had to turn in things late um but I think sometimes um, especially as minorities, we get this idea that like you have to like do things the difficult way. And I think a coping mechanism that I've uh, allowed myself is to be like, I am human and I don't have to do things like that all the time. So if I need to ask for an extension, if I need to turn things in late, if I need to, you know, ask the TA for help at a time that seems like really late in the day, I'll just do that. Um, and if the answer is a no, it's a no. And I'm willing to take consequences for that, but it's not going to come a personal sacrifice. Um, I don't know if that, that's not, it's not like a traditional coping mechanism, like I drink water and I take bubble baths, but like it's <laughs> something that's helped me a lot. Um, I've just stopped putting schoolwork first in a way that is deeply detrimental to me. Wow. That is, it's just, it's kind of like crazy to me because it's like me, I'll be up to 3 a.m. I'm going to go, go, go. And whatever happens, <laughs> it's going to have to happen. So it's like, yeah. here you like put yourself first. Like, I wonder how long did it take for you to get to that place? Like, did a yeah, it took a long time. It took a long time. Like, did a moment happen where you were like, no, like Elizabeth, I have to do this. I have to put me first. Yeah. So junior year was really rough for me. It's really funny because someone um, in part in the park program, when I was like, either a freshman or a sophomore sat me down and was like, for whatever reason, junior year is going to be the, your worst year of college. And at the time I was like, girl, that seems like that's about you. But I got to my <laughs> junior year, <laughs> I got to my junior year and I was like, I feel awful all of the time. And it's, it's affecting the way that I relate to people. And it's affecting the way that I, um, like, I don't know, like it was, it was just really, I got to a point where I was like so unhealthy that like, it permeated like everything that I was doing. And I felt like I wasn't showing up as a good friend. I wasn't showing up as a good mentor for the people that needed me. Like I was just, I felt bad all the time and I was really tired of it. Um, it that's, I think that's when it started. Like I just that moment of like, I really just don't want to feel like this anymore. And knowing that not to be more of a, but like that can only go really too direct. Either you get better or you like, you figure out a way to stop feeling bad. Um, so I just decided that I just needed to get help because it just wasn't, um, like it just wasn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and then on top of that, after um, quarantine started, um, I like the first fall semester. So I, I was on co-op when things went online initially. So my first semester of having classes on, during COVID was fall 2020. And I started to having this thing where like consistently on Thursdays, for whatever reason, I would have like these horrified migraines in the morning. Um, so some of it was just like my body telling me like, girl, we can't keep doing this. So the journey started junior year. Um, and then like, it took me a while to like adapt, like adopt things that were actually healthy for me and like putting them into practice. And like, um, that fall semester was really like a reminder, like, okay, you need to keep doing this. You need to keep working on this. Cause you're, I like to say that if you don't take a break, your body will take the break for you. And that's what's starting to happen. So you talked about like, you use the mental health center. Um, how has that changed the way you like deal with your mental health issues? Yeah, I think I do a lot more emotional processing when I'm feeling things. Um, my my or my counselor, I guess I guess I think are counselors. Uh, my counselor likes to say that it's not really um, it's not really what you're doing, it's the why you're doing it. Um, and so, in moments where I like feel awful or I'm like doing something that I know is unhealthy for me, I stop and I'm like, okay, let's talk, girl. Like, why are you doing this? Like, I do a lot of self talk. I do a lot of um, 
I do a lot of journaling um, to like process my emotions. I think I'm definitely someone that like, I tend to bottle a lot of my emotions because I don't, I think I don't trust myself to handle them in healthy ways. <laughs> this is this is so like, I don't know, it's so embarrassing to admit, but I feel like I really, really have a temper. Like naturally I think I'm like mm-hmm. a very petty, like I don't have a healthy way of dealing with conflict and like issues in my life. So I think as a negative coping mechanism to that, I just sort of like, I just don't say anything because I I know if I say something, there's gonna be a problem. So I just don't say anything. And I, that's not healthy for me. Um, and it's not healthy for my relationships because then that just builds a lot of resentment. So um, one of the things I've started doing to like cope is to start to process my emotions more, start to write things down so they're at least out of my body. And that's a strategy that I definitely got from counseling. Um, yeah, so just a lot more analysis, a lot more like thoughtfulness when I'm feeling something. And I don't always do that. Like it's really hard to do sometimes. So sometimes I'll just like, I don't know. I'll just eat my feelings and deal with it later. But um, I think most of the time I've gotten a lot better about like being more calm and more rational and processing what I'm doing in the moment um, instead of just sort of bottling or doing something reactionary and unhelpful. Yeah, that's really important, honestly. Um, So you talk, well, we're talking about like the mental health um, center and going to counseling. What was the process like for you to start to go counseling? Like, what did you have to do? Did you have to fill out a form? Did you have to go to somebody, some mystery man? Like, what was the process? Yeah, um, so the counseling center is really nice about making it pretty straightforward um, to get help. So you just kind of walk in um, and say like, I'm interested in getting counseling. And then they'll be like, awesome. Is this your first time at the counseling center? Um, and you can say yes or no. So my first, so I actually, I think I, I think I mentioned this. So I actually had two counselors. Um, so the first time I walked in and I was like, this is my first time getting counseling. I think I really need help. And so they sit you down. Um, you'll have to, I think now they send you a link, but obviously when I started therapy, it was in person. So, um, they sat, I like sat down at a computer. I filled out a form talking about like what I was going through, what I was feeling. They asked if you have a preference for a counselor that you want to work with. So I think both times I listed that I wanted to work with a woman of color, um trying to think what else they basically get some questions about just like where your mental state is how are you feeling what's wrong um if you can describe the problem that you're having and then after you fill that out they sit you down in the waiting room um and then you see a triage counselor that day so I think um something that a lot of people know about counseling is that you will see a triage counselor that day um they don't necessarily do like I guess, typical, like your stereotypical therapy that first day, unless you're really in crisis. Um, It's more, again, like they want you to be able to talk to somebody to describe what you're feeling in words um, and then to make sure. Wait, pause. Not to cut you off. I just want to make clear, like the triage counselor, that is like the person you're describing your feelings and emotions to on the first day. Yes. Yeah. So that isn't, that that person won't necessarily be your permanent counselor, but it's just to make sure that you get FaceTime with someone in case like, like if you're really in, um, in crisis, like in that moment, they, um, they'll serve as like an intermediate counselor, sort of help to talk you, talk you down, get you connected to resources more immediately if you need it. Um, but if it's something where it's like, I'm not in crisis, but I do need to see someone soon. Um, the triage counselor, again, just serves as more data collection, um, asking you like, again, what the immediate issue is, um, sort of getting like a person to evaluate you because I mean, the form is pretty comprehensive, but it's good to just like get someone to get eyes on you and say like, okay, this is how urgent the student needs help. This is what they need, um, stuff like that. Um, and they also get you connected to other resources in the meantime. So I think the second time that I did counseling before I got connected to my counselor, it was maybe like two weeks um, before I got to see her. So in the meantime, I signed up for a workshop um, and I think 
a drop-in group, if I remember correctly. Um, and those are just, those are just like held me over in the meantime until I could see a one-on-one -on -one counselor. So um, yeah, so that's usually how the process goes and the wait time will vary. I think right now loads are really high at the counseling center. So it's a little hard to, um, to get one-on-one -on -one counseling. That being said, I think sometimes there's a lot of focus on one-on-one -on -one counseling because that's what you think of stereotypically when you start therapy. Um, but there are other there are other resources that can be really helpful to you, even if you even if in the moment you don't think they are. Because I I think when I signed up for the workshop, I was just like, okay, I'll just do this, and then you know I'll see my one-on-one -on -one counselor. But I think actually group uh, therapy and like workshops have been a lot more helpful to me long term in my growth. Um, one-on-one -on -one counseling was good for like my acute problems, but I think like for maintaining that growth and making sure that I was still on the right track and like having people to hold me accountable, group therapy did a lot for me. So um, yeah, sorry, that's just like a quick aside. But no, um, you're yeah. good. We like the launch <laughs> It's good. It educates us. We like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, my last question for you is why did you decide to become a mental health ambassador? Yeah. So um, so the reason I decided to become a mental health ambassador, I actually was one before I started um, doing counseling. I think I think they might have, like when I actually became one and when um, I started counseling, might have coincided a little, but before I got into like the um, psychotherapy that I'm in now, like the, after I got my, my second counselor, I got her after I was actually in MHA. Um, but the reason I became one in the first place was um, Park. I think, I don't know if they still do this, um, but when I was a freshman, they brought in um, mental health ambassadors to talk about counseling, the, the counseling center. And there was a mental health ambassador who, he graduated a while ago, but his name was Cody. I think his last name was Zane, but that might be wrong. I know for sure his first name was Cody. Um, and he's like this like really big intimidating guy. And I remember he had like a chain from his pocket and I was like, this person's coming to talk to me about counseling. Cause like, I think <laughs> in your head you have like some stereotypical ideas of like, okay, this is who seeks counseling. But Cody was like really big and really gruff. And he was like, look, sometimes you're just gonna need help. And counseling really changed my life. And I was like, well, I wanna be able to have that impact in other people's lives because him talking about it and him like I don't know talking about what he'd been through and his struggles and like how he got through it with the help of the counseling center I think was really important for me and I wanted to be able um to do the same work because at that point I had had some mental health issues um that at the time were I didn't I thought I resolved them they were unresolved but I wanted to be able to like you know educate people like me about um what I'd been through and where to get help um and that seemed like the way to do it so I kind of, I kind of attribute me getting into MHA to Cody because I, I don't think I could have, um, I don't think I would have done it without like hearing him talk about the effect that it had on him. Um, yeah, I think it's important to hear from people who you don't stereotypically associate with going to counseling. Mm -hmm. um, it's good to hear from them about counseling because it really reminds you that like anybody, like it's, it could be anybody that needs help and it, that anybody could be used. So, um, but yeah, that's why I got into it. I'm really grateful for him. My second interview is with Ms. Whitley Grant. Ms. Whitley Grant facilitates a range of outreach spaces through prevention services, including the back and boundary drop-in space. She used to provide therapy to students. She's currently the alcohol and other drug prevention coordinator for the prevention services. In this interview, we spoke about the unique relationship between mental health and Black students at NC State. 
So my first question for you is, um, do you see a difference in the mental issues between Black and non-Black students that you deal with? Because I know you said you used to do therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in my current role, I'm not providing direct one-on-one individual mental health therapy, but I'm still a mental health counselor, mental health therapist. So I still do a lot of like events and different things like that, or webinars Mm -hmm. and workshops around mental health in the black community. Um, But the main differences that I would see between the black and non-black students is more so um, differences between maybe black students and students who have like a majority identity. So for example, a lot of students in the black community might have my in the past might not have had um, access to resources, or if they went to some type of um, professional or medical or professional resource, what happened was is maybe they had a situation where the, they felt like the person wasn't culturally responsive. So sometimes what happens with mental health treatment is I see that <clears throat> if folks automatically associated with like medical treatment in general. So if you had a bad experience with like a doctor or something, in middle school or high school or when you were younger, then naturally you will be reluctant to seek support services as it was related to mental health. And rightfully so, because it's like a systemic issue where you have a mistrust of certain support services. I also would say that some of the differences include like environmental or historical trauma that people might, um, Black students might experience that maybe other folks don't experience. So you have the systemic things like racism, classism, health inequity, and all of those play into the mental health needs specifically of folks from the Black community. So these symptoms, the mental health needs are often oftenly exasperated um, and because they or may have this reluctance around seeking support, then the symptoms could become worse. Um, in, addition, in addition, it might be like some vicarious trauma so that maybe you experience um, violence and criminal injustice, but it might not be something that you directly experienced, but because you had like a family member or a friend or even thinking about everything that happened last year um, with George Floyd and the racial trauma that Black students experienced. And even though that wasn't a direct thing that happened to you as a Black person, it's that vicarious trauma and that you observe these things happening. So now you're like hypervigilance, maybe feeling super aware, hyper aware of how racism and things like what's happening in the community might impact you directly as a black student. So that's some of the main differences that I've seen in between black um, and non-black students. Yeah, Um, we were talking about like how um, they, like the mental issues um, show up, there's like a difference in the type of like mental issues that they deal with. And I also wanted to know, because if there's a difference in the type of mental issues that they deal with, is there a difference in the type of signs or symptoms that they show? Because I watched, uh, I listened to a podcast and it said that um, it was talking about depression amongst Black women specifically. And it showed that like Black women are um, less like, are more likely to show not the conventional typical symptoms of depression in comparison to like other people. So I just wanted to know like at what point um, should black students be seeking help for mental issues? Like what are the signs of the signs that they should be looking out for? Yeah, so a lot of times when I see the way like 
certain psalms showing up in um, Black students or Black people is a difference is that not necessarily that you won't have the same symptoms of depression and anxiety. It's more so because you don't automatically think this is mental health related, then they might show up in other ways. So for example, a lot of times when it comes to depression, anxiety, other mental health symptoms, it can show up somatically, which means that maybe you have start having digestive issues like abdominal pain or bowel problems. And while typically you might associate that with like a, a virus or something like that, it really could be a sign that your body is dealing with um depression, anxiety, or some other mental health symptoms. In addition to that, it could be more neuro neurological. So maybe you could have headaches, dizziness, feeling weak. All of those things could be related to your mental health. Um, some other symptoms that I think are pretty common as it relates specifically to depression um, are reduced appetite, weight loss, so maybe you're eating more, weight gain, um, loss of interest in typical activities that you might have, have usually enjoyed, maybe you're sleeping too much or too little, um, really having a hard time getting rest and often feeling restless, difficult time concentrating in class or, or other activities that you're used to doing, um, and definitely the isolation piece where you don't necessarily find as much joy in spending time with other people and you find yourself kind of feeling isolated and withdrawn. Um, and then recurrent thoughts of suicide, um, and then just a difficult time even remembering maybe something that you learned in class and maybe you have a difficult time remembering. So even though those symptoms aren't necessary, like these are completely different for Black students, what tends to happen is you might not think that this is something mental health related. Like when you're experiencing these things, you might just think, oh, I'm in a bad mood or I'm having a bad day or um, something like that. You might not realize when these types of symptoms happen persistently, it could be an indication that there's something more serious going on there with your mental health. So when this, these symptoms start showing up, at what point should a person start seeking professional help? Because I feel like for Black people, we have a tendency of like, oh, we can just like struggle and fight through it, like we'll be fine in the end. But it's like at some point, you might reach a, a, a point where you have to go seek professional help. How do you know that you're at that point? Yeah, so one of the things that I was um, thinking about, particularly with, with this, is I, I always tell people to seek services early. So like one or two things, I, I would suggest that students already connect themselves with the counseling center and prevention services Like we have spaces specific to black students. So I would say already tap into those um, resources so that you already are knowing what certain depression, anxiety and different symptoms look like. And then I will also say that on the Counseling Center website, they have like some online screening tools that you can use. So even if you listen to this pod, this, this interview here, or maybe a student is listening to a podcast, like the one that you were listening to, and you hear some of those symptoms come up, maybe doing one of those quick online assessments to figure out is what I'm going through just a bad day, or is this more so related to depression? So I always encourage people to, to seek support early but if you didn't seek it early and now you're kind of already in that depressive state and you're needing help um help i would say to definitely tap into the counseling center they can provide you with um resources whether they offer you individual therapy in the counseling center or they can offer you a list of providers in the community that you can go to as well
When you did your, um, cause say you're a mental health counselor and that you provided therapy in the past, what type of resources did you provide to the people that you helped? Yeah. So with this, I helped, I would, well, more, mainly I would do individual therapy with them, but I would definitely encourage, I love to encourage my students to go, especially my black students to, to tap into those group counseling spaces. Because one thing that is known for people in the black community is that we heal in collectivism, we heal in community. So it just makes sense to be a part of some type of therapeutic space where there are other people who have similar experiences for you. So I always tell students to um, tap into like those group support spaces so that you can maybe even hear stories of other people that can help you heal. Um, I also think about some other resources I provide to students are just different ways to, to cope. So I tell students to start their morning each day with affirmations, positive affirmations to help to set the framework of the day. I always tell, I like to tell some of the students that I work with in the past to do like a coping playlist to help start their morning or even a situation when you're dealing with something stressful, you already have that playlist available to you. So you can just kind of play it. It can kind of help lift your moods. Um, I definitely have told students to use apps that might help with like calming and breathing techniques. Um, and then again, that support space. So just being able to have people in your um, space who can help just provide you with general support. So those are the things that's thinking about the Black students that I have worked with in the past and even currently in uh, drop-in spaces. I definitely recommend those things. Yeah. Um, my next question is about like the difference between being sad and depressed. I feel like we were just talking about oftentimes people see symptoms and they're just like, oh, like I'm just sad for a week. Like I'll be fine in the end. But like, I've always wondered like, what is the difference between like being sad and depressed? And, like, when do you know you have crossed that point where you're no more sad, but you are now in like full depression? Yeah, so when you know you have crossed that point is when you have consistent symptoms for like at least a two week time period, right? So like I tell people all the time, we're definitely going to go to through ups and downs, right? You might wake up tomorrow and you're just not feeling it, like your mood is off, um, you maybe you're feeling some feelings of sadness, but if the next day you're kind of back to your normal point, then that would just kind of be like maybe a routine day where you're feeling sad. But when you're feeling depressed, it's going to be persistent symptoms of depression that I named before, like weight loss, weight or weight gain, um, not wanting to get out of bed, loss of energy, feeling worthless, helpless, um, not getting enough sleep or sleeping too much and um, feeling withdrawn. If those symptoms last for at least like a two week period, that might be more a two, consistent two week period. And that means that might be more so related to depression versus just having feelings of sadness. No, yeah, that, you're definitely right. <laughs> um, that's all the questions that I have for you. Thank you so much for allowing me to do this interview. It has been a pleasure. No problem. And I do want to plug a couple spaces into this interview, if that's okay. Definitely. Please go ahead. <laughs> okay. So a couple of spaces that we have in prevention services um, are called the Black and Boundary, with it, which is in collaboration with the African American Culture Center. It happens on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Um, and it's in, we have some Zoom, it's like a hybrid format, some Zoom and some in-person meetings. So the next in-person space is on September the 22nd and it's located, it's going to be in the African-American Culture Center. 
And this is just a good space to be in community with other Black students who have those collective experiences and micro who have experienced microaggressions, racial trauma, and all the things, and just being able to process with the therapist facilitating that space and just being able to process in community with other Black students. We also have the collective, which is in collaboration with the Women's Center, and that happens on the second and fourth Thursday of each month from 5.30 to 7. Um, and that space is for women of color, women identify students of color. So again, there are a lot of support spaces here on campus that I would tell students just to tap into early. So you can already start building that coping, that self-care, meeting other students with collective experiences. And then also the Counseling Center has a host of various group spaces for students of color um, and also very specific to black students. So I think it's just important when we talk about being preventative to go ahead and tap into these resources early, earlier. That way that can help to break that stigma of not wanting to, to seek resources because it's like, okay, well, I've already tap, tapped into the counseling center. I've already been to a prevention services program. So I'm already comfortable with these spaces. So when I do need individual counseling, I won't have as much anxiety about what it might look like to talk to a counselor. Yes, thank you so much for providing us with that information. Our theme music for today's show was Come Over by Makai Beats, licensed under Music Archive. This has been Janini Kekwa for WKNC Radio. Thank you for listening. You can listen to more episodes of the show at wknc.org slash podcast and tuning next week Sunday at 6 p.m. to listen to more episodes.